Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Let's talk today about uh, some great things I want to tell you about our church. Um, to give some context to the passage we'll be looking at, in one of the darker times in Israel's history, you know, the story of the Old Testament is, is their relationship with God and um, their faith in God or lack thereof. And during a time when they had uh, turned their back on God and were living faithlessly in, in a decadent culture, uh, God sent many a prophet to <laughs> encourage them to change or suffer the consequences. God, God had their protection over them, and he said, I would withdraw that, and you'll be on your own if you want to be on your own. I can let you have your way. And one of those prophets was a, name, a man uh, called Micah, and he said in a very succinct way, you know, he's answering this question, how do we live in a culture uh, that mocks God? How are we supposed to make choices in a, in a world that's contaminating our worldview? And this is what he says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, look, God has shown you, O oh man, what is good. Okay, It's clear what you're supposed to do. What does the Lord require of you? Just do this. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. How do you live? How? He's told you, right? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That is a great sentence to live by. You can live your whole life by that. You can, you can build your business around that, your career. Your family can, can be a reflection of that versus ambition. You can even do that at a church. And I think in many respects, when the leadership is trying to figure out what we're going to do or how we're going to do it, we think of this one verse. How are we supposed to do church? Well, let's, you know, act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And, and that serves as a, a bedrock philosophy, but it's very difficult. You must know it's very difficult to actually practice it. And here's why. There's at least two problems that we have in the leadership of our church to, to apply this verse to the choices that we make. It's, you know, great, it's a value, but the choices become complicated because, well, at least for one thing, there's so much suffering. There's so much, so many people and so much suffering in the context of those people. You can get a, a dart and throw it on any uh, landmass and, and draw concentric circles and you'll see tens of thousands, millions of people with it appears to be an infinite amount of needs that could, that could be experiencing, you know, justice and enjoying mercy. And so where do you start if you want to be a church that wants to do this? Where do you end? And the other, so there's the sheer number of opportunities. And the other problem that we have in making decisions is, um, I, I, would, I just made up a word, Americanism. And Americanism is, this, is a value that we think we can fix anything because a plan executed with enough violence will bring about results. And, and that's what Americans do. I mean, they, they're, and you can see even in the Christian context, organizations where they're executing their plan with great excitement and, and they don't even need God. You know, it's, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to help anymore. We have this because we're so well-managed and we've been doing it for so long. And, and because we fear these, the first one we're overwhelmed with, how, where do we start, where do we end, where do we go? And then the second one is we have to be careful about our own abilities and income and, and 
And we want to do something that God's doing. And so the way grace has solved this problem about how to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with the God is we, we felt like we're just going to let God go first and follow him instead of lead out and, and, help, and, and hope he blesses us. In other words, we're going to find out where God's working in the world and then send our resources, our people and our finances and our ability and our time. We'll do that. So, and, and, and in the context of the value, a core value of this church, every believer is a minister. And so the ministers don't lead the way here, the members do. Okay, right? I mean, just another real quick pop quiz. I'm just a pastor, but you're the, that's right, you're the ministers. And so we're looking for opportunities where, our, where the ministers out there are going and finding where God's working and where we might be able to plug in. Because there's too many opportunities out there, and we want God to be part of it. In other words, um, hey, if you guys could do some scouting reports and see if God's killed any giants, you know, with uh, cheese delivery boys, then we'll be there to help clean up the rest of that Philistine mess. But we're going to wait and see where God's going. And what I'm going to do today, I'm pretty excited about it. In some reason, I have mixed feelings about today because I want to tell you about some, some of the history of this church, about where we've done this, where we've allowed believers as ministers to go out and find out where God's working and how we followed up and, and have done some marvelous things. I have mixed feelings because um, it, it's, it's very difficult for me personally to brag about things that we've done. Okay, I, I just come from a background where that's not something that you do. And, and if that weren't bad enough, it seems like the modern church today has swung to this other extreme where let no good deed go unadvertised. You know, hey, somebody call a television crew. We're going to paint a, a, a school and we're going to pick up some trash. You know, $10 worth of generosity can get $100 worth of advertising for us. And the church does this, and every time it does, I, I'm sure you are too, you're repulsed by it, which makes you draw back more, which makes you quieter about some of the things that God has done. And so I, I, I would acknowledge that as the senior pastor of this church, I have failed you and not told so many of you, especially that, you're, that are new to the church, about the many great things this church has been doing. It is, some of it has to do with we don't do that so much here you know, temperamentally and walk humbly with your God. Remember that third part. But also it's, 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 an, it's a reaction. So if we could just go forward, and I, and I want to kind of ask, I guess, forgiveness ahead of time, that one, I don't, that I don't mean to be bragging. Okay? And so if it comes off that way, it is not my intent. I, as a friend told me one time, you can celebrate. It's not bragging, you can celebrate. And so I'm celebrating some things that we've done together. And, and for some of you that didn't know these things, I want to apologize to you as well because you should know these things. You should know what a, what a great church that you're, you're part of. And if you're visiting, then, hey, so much the better. So we're going to overview today just some, some hot spots that have been going wrong, some crazy stories about what God is doing. And, and, and just I want you to note about, you know, these are real lives, real change. These are the ways we, we acted justly and loved mercy and walked humbly with God. These are where believers were the ministers, okay? And, and we're going to start, I'll start the farthest out. It's kind of a crazy story. In 2001, uh, a team of about six of the leaders at Grace went to Asia to see what God was doing there. We spent 10 days in five cities, and we came back, and all of us were changed men. As a matter of fact, one man sold his business and his house and his cars and moved over there. <laughs> and that served as a beachhead for us. Later, a few years later, independent of each other, 
eight graduates of our student ministry ended up ministering in Asia. And they were targeting a people group, a small, disconnected, forgotten people group in China. I'm sorry, Asia. <laughs> Whoops. That was, that's 14 million people. <laughs> and, and they were almost all Muslims, and they were illiterate. And so if you can imagine the frustration that God was bringing to them because they were feeling like God was working in this people group because they were having dreams and they were saying things, asking questions about the Messiah and who Jesus was. But think about how long it would take for people to learn how to read and have a translation before them. Now, while all this is happening on the other side of the world, a man is driving down the street here between one church up north and one down south, and he sees our big crown and and scepter cross, and he pulls in. He's from Faith Comes Through Hearing. And he goes upstairs and he says, hey, I'd like to give these to your pastor and missions pastor. And so I came in later and I found this little thumb, the size of my thumb and thing you plug your headphones in and you push a button. And the Bible is translated in your language in a dramatized fashion the way it was meant to be heard. And I said, where'd this come from? And they said, I don't know, he didn't even leave a note. Well, I asked Tom, where'd he go? Well, this, this guy, well, let's talk to him. And so we talked to him and we said, hey, you know what? We actually have a pretty bad problem that we need to fix and we're wondering if you could help. And he said, sure, that'd be great. Where is it? No, we can't help you. Because the voice actors in that country will be severely persecuted and probably killed. And so it would take two years to do anyway, but because of where it is, we can't help you. And so, sorry. And then it's almost like we're leaving. He goes, well, you know what? There is this one thing. We're trying this remote uh, translation method that protects the people that are being the, the voice actors, and so maybe we could try that. And we said, we, don't want, we want two translations, <laughs> and we want in the Old and the New Testament, and they said, that's going to be a lot of money. So we came, Tom and I came back from New Mexico and talked to you guys about it, and in one weekend, we raised $104,000 to have a people group hear the Word of God in their own tongue for the first time in human history. It took a long time. One of the things I want you to hear is we're in this for the long haul. Sometimes you have to be patient and just do diligence and work hard. And four years after we commissioned them, $116,000 later in July, this translation went live to more people than could read the Bible when Gutenberg printed his first. And you guys did that. Let me, thank you. We, we got a letter from uh, Faith Comes Through Hearing. Let me, um, there it is on the screen. Let me highlight a couple things. They said, you're willing, dear Grace, your willingness to impact the lives of the people group is inspiring. Grace Covenant's pioneering support in the virtual recording process has helped make God's word available to thousands of others who otherwise might never have heard the gospel. That's just the beginning. Look what else they say. The translation community now has rallied around this new approach because it is quick and less dangerous, and we used it to complete 20 languages so far. What used to take four years, they can do in three months. <laughs> That's because we, used, we strategically invested in acts of justice, in the love of mercy, and walked humbly with God. Real lives, real change, friends. 14 million people can now hear the Bible. That's you. That's what you guys have done, okay? It's a strategic use. 
In Africa, again, boy, if there's ever a country where there's, it seems like an infinite amount of needs and requests that we could serve, we have to know that God has taken down Jericho with trumpets before we're going to move to the next city that he's promised us, right? So, sit, you know, hold on to this one. This is how we ended up getting into Uganda. This is a crazy story. In 2010, my son uh, Ryan was playing lacrosse in, on a college team up in Pennsylvania, and uh, one of his fellow players, his dad, I'm going to call him the burrito guy, he has a burrito restaurant, and he puts him in college towns, and whenever he would open a burrito shop, he'd stand up on a table and just tell this insane story about how God had changed his life from being a money-grubbing you know, business guy to a person that's generous and loving, and, and how he had heart attacks and those sorts of things, and and I said, well, Ryan, I want to, give me his phone number. I want to talk to him. And he told me over the phone he had four just crushing heart attacks that would have killed a bear, you know, the tunnel of light, you know, see Jesus, that whole story. It's like, okay, I've read about that. He goes, no, no, listen to me. Let me tell you how it ends. He said, one of the times I saw him at the, tu- at the end of the tunnel, the first time he said, look, you go home and go into your closet and you pray until I come and talk to you. Okay. <laughs> so, so he goes... And he's praying for weeks, and then, he's, and then God tells him this. He says, I'm going to send someone to you, and I want you to give him all your money. Sell your companies and give him all your money, and you'll be richer than you've been in your whole life. And he said, okay. <laughs> weeks go by. A man rings his doorbell from Uganda and says, hey, I'm God. This is crazy, but God told me to come and talk to you about you sponsoring some work that we're doing in Uganda. And he says, I know. He talked to me, too. So... <laughs> And, and so I'm supposed to give you all my money. And then the Uganda guy says, hey, is that Toyota yours too? <laughs> he drives off with his truck. I said, I want to hear this guy live. So we flew him to Austin. No kidding. We flew him to Austin in May 2010. And he was part of a series that we were doing. And we interviewed him up here. And the night before, we went to dinner with some friends. And, and he brought, burrito guy brought a, a guy from Uganda with him. And he was full of the spirit of God. And we said, hey, why don't we have him close the service in prayer? What could happen, right? You know? This is crazy. If this is creeping you out now, brace yourself, okay? Because this stuff makes me nervous. And now it gets bizarre. So you, burrito guy comes up and he tells his story. And that's a fascinating thing. Have a song. Uganda guy comes up and prays. And I love the way this guy would praise it. Jesus, King of Glory. Had a very you know, thick accent. And every, I mean, Jesus, King of Glory. Whenever he'd say that, you'd just light up and go, yeah, he is the King of Glory. And that's how we're supposed to pray. Well, in the middle of that, with everybody's heads bowed, right, and their eyes closed, one of our, every believer's a minister, one of our ministers in the audience said, turned to her husband and said, that's the dream I told you about last night. That was the guy in my dream. That's the guy. He said, what? That guy. We're going to lunch with him. And they went to lunch with him, and then they went on a trip with him. And that's how we ended. It's a longer story than that, but that's how we ended up in Uganda. Because of a guy's massive heart attack where he's given away his fortune, and he brings a buddy to pray, and one of you were listening to God and had a dream the night before. Look, if you think, I know we're not a charismatic church. I, honestly, I'd love to be charismatic. I love these stories, and I want us to have these stories. We do. We do. And so this church, just the church, not people giving, individuals, but this church has given about $340,000 to Uganda. And that has sponsored two wells that were dug, a medical clinic that's that's, you know, uh, filled with uh, equipment and staff. 
They have uh, two schools, three churches, 70 students are sponsored by our church. 30 of those audio Bibles from every, or uh, Faith Comes Through Hearing, are given to women with AIDS that are AIDS positive and can't, can't read or are kind of shut in. And they get to hear God's word in their own tongue. This Christmas, friends, this Christmas, seven boys are going to have an incredible gift unwrapped a house and a mother. Seven orphan boys will be moved into a house that we built for them. It's in a little village called the Village of Grace. And they're going to have a place to stay because of you. Because of you. It's a strategic use of resources because we went to see where God was and, and our ministers did the following. Real lives, real change for eternity. We have a significant ministry in Ethiopia. We had a Sunday where we dedicated the whole Sunday to that. So we won't belabor that point. In India, we have, we're involved, I can't tell you the story, but it takes too long. 20 years we've been involved with the Asian Christian Academy in Bangalore. Friends, this is an amazing thing. They have a school from kindergarten through 12th grade. 1,200 students go there. They have an orphanage that cares for those children without uh, parents. They have a hospital with a clinic with a mobile clinic attached to it that goes out into the villages and the places to help people. They hate us. They hate us over there because we are overtly Christian and they're Hindu and Muslim, but they won't let us leave because we act justly, and we love mercy, and we walk humbly over there. And so they keep us. There's a seminary there that you help sponsor. And every year, the two or three primary graduates are asked to start a church. We are church planting in India. We have 30 churches. We're sponsoring 30 different pastors in Bangalore. That's good stuff. That's real life for real change. Um, we got a letter this last year from Campus Crusade Through Christ crew, right? We're part of their million-dollar club. <laughs> We've been part of it for quite some time. They finally did the accounting and said, oops, sorry. But anyway, thank you so much for the work you've done. Here's one of the lines. It says, we can only begin to imagine the impact your giving has on eternal destinies of hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions around the world. Because we've been involved with them for, what, almost 40 years now? Been 20 years in, or 15 years in Haiti Real lives, real change. Mexico, and again, just south of our border, it's a place where if you're not careful, you can just keep throwing resources down what would appear to be a bottomless pit. So let me just, again, belabor, tell you another story about how this happened. 25 years ago, my first year here in the student ministry, when I was working here, I think I was an intern. I wasn't even employed yet. A believer, every believer is a minister, a software salesman took me to lunch and said, hey, are the kids, the youth group, are they going to go on a mission trip? And I said, I don't know. It's never occurred to me. He said, he said I know God's working somewhere. I want, you to, I want you to take them. I want you to take them to Reynosa. There's some friends of mine that are part of an organization called uh, Youth Under God's Order, and I think it would be helpful, and I think you might meet someone. And so we went with eyes open and our hearts looking for someone to connect with, and we connected with a senior pastor down there, and we just hit it off. He knows as much English as I know Spanish. Okay, so besides the bathroom and water, we had no way to communicate. Those are the two words we both knew. And somehow we, there was magic. 
And we went down there for 12 years as students. As a matter of fact, just our high school youth group paid for the foundation of a church plant that he did, and then we also put the roof on the church as well. When I look at the pictures, in hindsight, I'd say we could have used more adult supervision on that. <laughs> that was we Jeremiah's one of those pictures, and I'm in the other one. It's like, we're in Mexico! <laughs> it's just like, Anyway, I, uh, it was a dangerous. It wasn't supposed to be. Anyway, then t- 10 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, a number of our adults went down to Reynosa as well, and they found that there's third world poverty in our own backyard and said, what are we going to do about this? How do we, how do we you know, act justly and love mercy and walk humbly? And they formed an organization, a collection of churches, a confederation of churches in Austin, in Chicago, in Alabama. And now they've gone down there, and they have all but built a city that was tarps that would flood every mild rain, and they put in two water wells, serving 3,000 people, built four schools, 300 homes. We sponsor an orphanage there. That's you guys. That wasn't a pastor-led event. That was people saying, where's God moving already? How can we strategically use the limited resources we have for the kingdom of God, for real lives and real change, for real lives and real change for eternity? This is almost super secret, but, you know, 35 years ago, one of our school teachers said, I think I feel like God's calling me to serve with Native Americans. It's a lost people group in our own, in our own borders. She's been doing that quietly, patiently, with friends. In Austin, let's get back closer to home in Austin. I mean, here's another great story. These are, these are stories where God's doing stuff, okay? We talk about Austin. We, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mission Possible. You might know about that. That's a, there's a picture of it. And how did that come about? Well, from 1992 to 1995, we didn't have a senior pastor here. And it was difficult to have any uh, consistency in the pulpit with visiting uh, speakers. And so the leadership asked me to start just preaching more consistently. And then I, I could find someone else to serve like as an interim youth pastor. And I said, well, that'd be I can try to do that, but our spring retreat's coming up. And I'm, wait, it'll work because I booked a place for our spring retreat a year ago called Mission Waco. It's a kind of a poverty, you know, uh, experience where you go and you, you kind of live on the streets as, as students. It's somewhat safe. It wasn't then. It is now, I'm sure. Um, anyway, it's a poverty simulation. It helps understand the poor and the needs of the poor. And so... Tim Pinson was one of our adult leaders, just like you, an adult leader in the student ministry. And I said, Tim, how about you? Would, you? would you be the interim youth pastor? And then could you be in charge of making sure we get up to Waco and we come back with the same amount of students? And he said, I'll do that. <laughs> it's how we count success in uh, student ministry. And uh, <laughs> So we, we go up to Mission Waco, and Tim... It's like everything that God had ever worked or said in his life all kind of started fitting together. And he thought to himself, why isn't there something like this in Austin, Texas? And so he did something about it. He came home and he sold his business. And with grace, you know, we we helped him set up a 501c3 independent so he could kind of spread his wings even further. And now, right... uh, this, this Mission Possible is the premier inner city ministry in Austin because of you guys. And, and not including the people that give regularly that we don't know about, but through our budget, 
We've given him over, given Mission Possible about $550,000 over the years. They do a thing called Church Under the Bridge. It's for homeless people. About 300 people every week for all these years meet under the bridge, and they worship Christ, our King, and they hear God's Word taught, and they try to learn to love one another. They have clubs for kids in five different um, housing projects. They have an education system and job training uh, ministries. They have a huge Thanksgiving banquet that takes place. They have a couple of buildings down uh, in East Austin that are now worth a lot of money. We helped buy those buildings low these many years ago. Long commitments to places where God was moving because every believer is a minister here, so it becomes strategic for real lives and real change. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, three women in our church, well, one, I think one or two from here and one from our sister, the church we started in South Austin called Westlake Bible. It's called Austin Ridge now. Three women said, what are we doing about poor women in crisis pregnancies, right, in unplanned pregnancies? How are we, like, you know, doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly? And they got together and they looked at some national things that they could do, and they organized the first in Austin, and it was the only one for hundreds or, I don't know, 25 years. It was the only Protestant alternative. It's called Life Care Pregnancy Center now. We've been involved with them over 35 years, 30 years or so. We've given them over $500,000, and they had this one formula. They said, look, if we can just bring truth and love and forgiveness to this very difficult conversation, we could, we could have real lives with real change. And people at this church have served there for so many, in so many capacities. So many people at this church are volunteers there. M- many of their paid staff came from here. Many even their, uh, the people that run it are from Grace. Board of directors are from Grace. Because at Grace, we think every believer is a minister. We put you out there to do the ministry for real lives, for real change, for eternity. So as, we, as you look at the, um, the, the circles getting smaller and smaller as they get closer to Austin, I just want you to hear that um, <laughs> we are a missional church before the word missional was a word. And I'm looking forward to that not being a word someday. But we're a missional church. We have been. We will be. We made some strategic lo- uh, decisions a few years ago on how to love the city of Austin and how to do with this building in 2005 we wondered what, what could we do that would be best for this city? What's in the city for the city? What do we do? And, when, and the leadership and the congregation came together and said, let's build the last auditorium that this campus will ever have. We didn't have room for an inter, interim auditorium, so we built way more than we needed or could afford, and we bought this auditorium, built this auditorium in 2005. Because we're an inner city church. Do you know that? We came out here, we were kind of in the suburbs, but as the city has grown around us, now we're kind of a downtown church. And now when churches get started or, they, or, they're, or when they move, they move way out. It's easier to do ministry out in the suburbs. People are moving into those neighborhoods and the land is cheap. That's not the case here. On two very tempting, three very tempting opportunities, we could have sold this land and moved out. And we said, let's stay in the city for the city. It's the most strategic use of resources for real lives, for real change. And so we built this building. In 2009, we opened the doors, and we've been growing about more than 10% each year. 
And as a result, we're starting to push other places, and one of them is our children because, at Grace, apparently, you have to have four children to be here. (laughs) Our ratios are such that our next big push was going to be in our children's building, and then Four years ago, again, this is a God thing. These are God stories. Four years ago, a family gave us a huge gift unexpectedly, $500,000. And that changed us. First, it changed us because it changed our credit rating at the bank, and so we could get a loan for a much better rate than we had our currently. And over the life of the loan, we were going to save $1.2 million. That's a good investment. Second of all, we saw that our children's building was becoming uh, seriously inadequate, and we could get ahead of it instead of behind it. And so it takes so much front-end money to hire engineers and architects, and we got on that right away. And so two years ago, two years ago, we started a campaign to build that beautiful building at the bottom of the hill called the Live Oak Building. Because we felt the most strategic use of funds, right, for real life and real change, to practice justice and to do mercy and to walk humbly, was to have a climate-controlled building for children and youth and adults that was about 34,000 square feet. That was strategic ministry money, and that's where we are now. We're two years into this in a two-year uh, campaign you know, where we, try, we raise funds, and I want to tell you, let me give you a, a quick update and then tell you what we want to do. Here's the update. We are on time. <laughs> we got three and a half weeks behind because of the May floods and the rains, but our contractor is a very gifted uh, gentleman, and, and, and we caught up. We're going to open the building in mid, probably uh, mid-December, and we're hitting a lot of our numbers. We're mostly on budget. There was an unforeseen expense, but that, everything else has been spot on. In the context of giving, we've already taken in about 83% of the promised money, and we're, we, we had additional money in a, on top of that that wasn't pledged. At the end of our two years, we will probably collect 103% of pledges. If you could, yeah, give yourselves a hand, right. It's, it's hard if you're, if you're kind of in, the, in my business, if we, were to, if we were to be lucky to get 80%, we could like host conferences on how to do this, Okay. But instead, we were able to raise 103% of our pledges. This is a phenomenal expression of your generosity and the consistency of your giving. The consistency of your giving was such that we didn't even have to draw money from our loan until this last month. We've been using vault cash to build most of that building that you've seen go up. Here's what the leadership has thought about is the most strategic use of our future when it comes to real lives and real change. Let's pay for a parking lot, and let's pay off that building. What if we walked into that building next year, and it was paid for? If we could raise $3 million in the next year, in other words, we had a two-year campaign, and some of you weren't here for that, about 200 families, as many as 200 families weren't here for that. And then those of you that were here, like me, would say, okay, look, I made a two-year commitment. We're asking everybody to say, hey, how about one more year? How about one more year? And maybe we can hit this $3 million mark and pay for a parking lot across the street because we have so much more room in the Live Oak building and we can pay down this debt so it'll free us up to do different types of ministry. Okay? Here's what I want us to think about and pray about for the next few weeks, okay? If you are, are new to Grayson, you weren't here two years ago when we were building the building, we have a brochure at the visitor center 
that tells you all about kind of our history and the strategy of the ministries that we have at Grace for serving our city. And then I would love every one of you to leave today and, and go by the tables in the lobby and get this very nice brochure that explains in the back our financial situation and how successful that's been and where we are with the building and what our plans are. It was our hope that we would end today with a tour of the building. But this girl named Patricia wouldn't let us, and so uh, all the rain is going to keep us from doing that. We're hoping to do it next week because when you see that building, here's, the, here's what's unusual about the building down the hill. It's the first education building that we have built around the philosophy of ministry that we have here at Grace, of mentoring. Each floor has a big teaching meeting room and then breakout rooms where people can stare into your life and gaze into your soul, and you guys can exchange stories and values and wisdom. Each floor. Each floor has that. It is built around the philosophy of ministry of grace. It has so much potential for the children, for the youth, a thousand Youth and children that meet here, a thousand. If you were a pastor and you had a church of a thousand, you'd tell your friends about that. A thousand. We have a thousand children and youth that meet. And then adult ministry, celebrate recovery and reengage. Ministries that are serving the whole city. So would you would you consider this? Would you go by and pick up one of these brochures or both? Would you think about praying about making a commitment for a year to paying off that building and building a parking lot? That's, that's what I wanted to tell you today. And I hope, again, let me just apologize again. I hope it just didn't feel like I was bragging because that, that, uh, that, that no good deed go unadvertised, right? We won't do that. When I think about grace, I've thought a lot about this talk because I, it, it's making me nervous to tell you these stories. I think, I, when I think of you, I think of you as being heroes. You know, us. We're heroes like a band of brothers, and we've done things together, right? Conquered some things and, and faced some very difficult times in our past if you've been here for more than 10 years. And, and, I, and that's why, the reason I think of heroes is because when heroes, heroes don't brag, right? They don't, they don't ever talk about what they've done. They just do it, and then they move on. And that, I think that's, what, that's kind of the spirit of this church is we just, we just do stuff. We, get, we follow God, we get stuff done, and we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to call the camera crew. But, but when the unit gets together, you know, over some tamales, we laugh about some old times. And so I hope today was, a, was, was just the guys getting together, talking about some things that we've done. Celebrating, not bragging, but celebrating what God has done with people that just want to do his will. They just, want to, they just want to, you know, do justice and love mercy and walk humbly before him and other men. That's what we're doing here today. Would you consider continuing that journey? Let's, do, let's just go and see what's going on in the future and what God will have for us. It seemed very appropriate when we were talking about in, in worship planning uh, weeks ago that we should end with some of the things that are happening in the lives of this church today. And we're going to end today's teaching time uh, with some baptisms. We have four adults that would, that we have actually eight, four for each hour, and we'd like them to come down. Why don't you turn the screen, put the screens up, and we're going to baptize these uh, members of, of a body of Christ. We do baptism here uh, because uh, Jesus told us to. Uh, 
one of the last things he said, the last things he told us was, look, I want you to go and baptize, go into all the world and make disciples. And here, how, well, how do you make a disciple, Jesus? Will you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? And you teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so um, as an act of obedience, not because this does not cause you to be a Christian. This does not get you any additional favor with God. As a matter of fact, as one scholar said, the lack of its necessity is what makes it such a gift to God. It is purely an act of obedience. And so these are people in our church and they have crazy stories. And, and sometimes we do baptism this way because they, they don't want to tell the story out loud. Sometimes we put our stories up on video and sometimes we have people tell you live. But today we're going to have these uh, members of our congregation, these family members, to come and be baptized like Jesus told them to. Let's do that. That's heated water. You'll be nice. You'll be thankful for that. Ready, Johnny? All right, Johnny. Because you professed your love for Jesus Christ, your friends and family, and to all around you, I want to baptize you as your brother in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Here you go. It's awesome. There you go. I'm going to help you up. You okay? Okay. Shannon, because you uh, trusted Christ to pay for your sins and you find no merit in your own actions. You just trust in his promises and his gift of, of sacrifice for you. I want to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. sins. No one said you were going to question me. Okay, I'm sorry. And because you've done that, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Mike is going to baptize his son. Camp. We're not at camp today. Yeah. I was going to project today because uh, William, my son, and he has professed his faith in Jesus Christ, and it's been my privilege to walk with him through that process. And uh, William, as your father, today I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There you go. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the work that you have done in the lives at Grace Covenant Church, the way you've protected us from ourselves so many times over the years. 
how we uh, went ahead of you or went away from you and you brought us back or you held us back. And then when we chose to follow you and find your will, you blessed us with the gift of doing ministry on your behalf. You've given us a chance to participate in every good work that you promised beforehand, before the beginning of time. And so we praise you for that. We praise you for the lives of these adults that have trusted you and acted out on obedience by being baptized today. Lord, we celebrate who you are and what you've done in our lives and the lives of this church. We are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.